Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. In episode 44, we are still COVID quarantining, so we will review the two newest releases from Netflix Uncorked, starring Courtney V. Vance, and the Spanish language thriller El Hoyo, known to American audiences as The Platform. And in our pick six segment, we will be ranking the six best home invasion films of all time. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which we chose a film that both of us had seen, but neither of our significant others had. The gut-wrenching 2008 documentary, Dear Zachary. So, Andy, how you holding up? Well, you know, I uh, was kind of hitting a wall over the weekend, so I decided to put Kingpin on, so everything's okay now. We will begin this week with Netflix's surprise hit of the weekend. We didn't even mention this film during last week's closing section because it wasn't on anyone's radar. But given the subject matter and the edgy material, uh, it shot its way to stardom seemingly overnight. Let's discuss The Platform. The Platform. Okay, so right away, based on that intro, I gotta ask, why do you think this has suddenly appealed to the masses? Uh, like you said, kind of out of nowhere. Why do you think that is? So a lot of uh, it seems that the the underlying like subject matter that we're talking about and the in the in the theme that the film has to has to uh, um, has to portray or discuss um, is is the distribution of wealth and assets. And it seems very timely in this uh, corona-crazed world that we live in where everyone's buying up all the chicken and toilet paper and, and, and hand sanitizer and not leaving anything else for other people who might not be able to have access to it right away, whether because they can't get out or because they don't have the funds to, to stockpile it and things like that. Um, so the subject matter in the material is, is um, pretty timely, um, given given the, those circumstances, but it's wrapped up in this sci-fi thriller f- dystopia uh, uh, thing, you know, this package. Okay, so um, we're crazy, aren't we? As a culture, we want to just be. We just we just want to continue to be depressed, and we're already in this, but we don't watch things that are mirroring it. Okay, I could, we we could watch nine police academy movies to get our minds off of it, but we don't want to do that. But we don't. Uh. The, the the two <laughs> biggest things this weekend on Netflix um, post Tiger King, which uh, I don't want to talk about, have been have been <laughs> the platform and Ozarks, which are both very depressing. So yeah, okay. So does this qualify? Because I don't know much about it necessarily. Does mm-hmm. it qualify for the single locations on genre? <sighs> Uh, oh boy. Well, I guess it could qualify because it is all one big location, but, um, the premise is that, um, uh, you know, up on level zero, there's fancy, fancy rich people that are, that are going to be, you know, uh, making this, this meal. And it's, you know, the, the team of uh, hundreds of absolute exquisite chefs and, and, uh, and a mater D who's making sure everything is absolutely perfect. And then, um, there are 
levels to this building. And as there's two people, prisoners, for lack of a better word, on each level. And so the table is dropped down one level at a time. And the two people can um, can eat from this table. And then, you know, after a certain period of time, it drops down to the next level and then to the next level. And so the lower floor that you're on, the less food there is to choose to, to choose from, you know, or even to be offered to you. And by the time you get down really, really low, there is nothing left. There is absolutely no food. So different floors, different levels are classifications of like financial class no. of people? No, or? it's okay. so every month you get assigned to a new one and it's random. Mm, okay. Um, and it's completely at random who's on what level. Huh. This movie was not even they this they kind of dropped this in, out of nowhere, right? They, did, was this even advertised? Uh, yeah, I did not see it advertised anywhere. But um, just this past TIFF, it won the uh, the Choice Award at Midnight Madness. So it it was on some people's radar. Just I think you had to be genre aficionados to have to have been eagerly anticipating this film, which you know we aren't. But um, but it definitely had an audience because it, it won the it won a, a, a prize at Midnight Madness at TIFF. Okay, well, um, I guess now I have to ask. I don't know. I can't tell yet if you like it or not. But do you? think anything stands out in your opinion uh writing directing acting and action set pieces yeah there are some um pretty cool performances there's an older fellow that we meet he's our protagonist's first roommate is this the guy i saw a thumbnail on imdb i think and I was like, is that Bill Camp? But I was like, there's no way it could be Bill Camp. Yeah, it's like a shorter, stodgier version of Bill Camp without without any facial hair. Sure. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so our, our protagonist um, uh, uh, kind of looks like a Spanish version of one of the guys from the Broken Lizard uh, gang. Okay. Um, and uh, his first roommate um, uh, is this older Spanish fellow, and he's he gives a pretty interesting performance. And our protagonist, um, whose name I think is Joe or something like that, in this, um, he he gives a he gives a pretty uh, interesting performance as well. Um, but really, this film is more about the writing and like the concept and the way that unravels. Um, it's not particularly shot like amazingly. It's it's competently shot. And most of the performances are are fine, um, but really the 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 star with the film is is just the conceit of it all, and and the message and things like that. You know, it's it's more of a of, of a mood picture than anything else. So, how is that executed? Is it would you say it's it that main you know part of it is done well? For the most part, um, I'll be honest. I I liked this film. Um, uh, I, I wasn't blown away by it and it really doesn't pay off at the end hmm. at, at all. Seems like a movie um, that should, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it seems like they had a really great idea. And then by the time that it was, that, that it was time for them to wrap it all up, um, it seemed like they were like, Oh shit. Well, we hadn't really thought this far, you know? <laughs> What do we do? You know, okay. kind of one of those things. But, um, but the 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 first forty five minutes to fifty minutes, uh, 
measure up a hell of a lot more than the last 45 to 50 minutes. Mm. And it's, it's really short. It's an hour and a half. It's breezy. But um, you, you are left wanting a little bit more afterward. Okay, what do you give it? I'll give it three. Fair yeah, enough. I, I still encourage people to go out, go ahead and check it out because because everybody else is doing that, and and I think um, genre fans, you know, fans of this particular genre, especially if you're into, you know, really graphic and disturbing stuff, um, horror aficionados might really get a lot more out of this than I did. I just I. I I was let down by the last 45, so. Okay. It is very brutal at times. I do want to warn audiences of that. It, it can be very brutal at times, which, which um, uh, after a whole week of, of uh, home invasion films, I was a little desensitized. <laughs> We also watched Dear Zachary, which we'll get to. Exactly. So, so yeah, I'm, you know, El Hoyo didn't shock me as much as it might shock some other some other viewers just because of what I had been filling my brain with all week long. So, okay. Our next film um, uh, on the list for today is Netflix's lesser-known new release. Um, it's a light-hearted drama starring Courtney B. Vance as a father who has big plans for his son to take over the family business while his son has fine wine on his mind. Let's discuss Uncorked. Uncorked. Okay, so Uncorked. Um uh, so give our audiences, I guess my first question is, I know little to nothing about this film other than what you briefly told me so that I could write that synopsis at the, uh, that we just had. And then also, um, I- I've not seen any trailers for it. I know that Courtney B. Vance is the biggest star in this, but he's not even the lead. Um, tell me and our listeners just a little bit of what this film actually is about. I mean, this is a familiar story that has been done many times before about how a young person kind of in their college age years is really teetering in that line. Do I take over a family business or, you know, follow in the footsteps of of generations or go against, be the first person since the business started? To go against doing that and follow, for lack of a better term, my dreams, you know, Um, which in this guy's case, he is just he's worked at a he's worked at a wine shop for years. You know, ever since he could have a job, he's worked at a wine shop and he's balanced that with helping his father out at his barbecue shop, which is a staple in Memphis. This is a film that takes place half takes place in Memphis. Um, and Courtney B. Vance is the owner of that barbecue business. And the real star of this movie though is, uh, Mamudu Ati. Uh, and the entire time I just kept thinking to myself, where have I seen this guy? And when I looked it up, I've seen him in multiple things, weirdly enough. And the one I remember most is, Un- the Unicorn Store, the uh, Brie Larson movie. He was the I love interest see. in that. I see. Um, well, that leads me right into my next question, which was, you know, um, I, I I don't, I didn't, I haven't seen the trailer, and so I didn't know who the star of the film was. Tell me how um, uh, Mamudu Ati uh, uh, collects himself in this film and and how he uh, how he holds his own with some of these others. 
Mamoudou Ati is in basically every scene of this film, almost. Um, so it is his movie. Uh, I do think he is very capable and quite good throughout most of this movie. Um, the writer and director, Prentice Penny, uh, just doesn't present him with a lot to work with a lot of the times in this. So it's, it's kind of like a constant s- struggle. There's a lot of different stories at play all at once, and none of them really coalesce into anything that they kind of are set up to you know become um and so it kind of leaves his it kind of leaves especially a tease stranded in certain moments of this movie like he's trying to figure out almost the identity of not just the character but (laughs) the entire story itself and he's trying to navigate that because he is the anchor of this movie he is good but um there's just something about the movie that's a little lost throughout yeah. the entire thing. Well, I'm, I'm noticing here among the other, the rest of the cast, there are there are ne- not only him, but uh, um, there are some other members of the cast that are Netflix, you know, family basically. Matt McGorry from uh, from Orange Is the New Black, um, Niecy Nash shows up, and she's done some Netflix work as well. Um, I'm assuming Niecy Nash plays his mother. Yes, yes, she's she's pretty good and courtney b vance is the father um Mm -hmm. how how is that dynamic work and how's specifically courtney b vance in this well it's the classic father who's very stern and very set in his ways about the family business there's nothing new to the character yet he's still solid in it um it it just you know it, it tries to delve into the memphis barbecue business life but it doesn't do that enough so it doesn't give courtney b vance enough really to do there's not a lot of setup so when you get supposed payoff with him and his relationship with his son later it kind of fizzles out and doesn't go anywhere it's nothing against the actors in this movie um but courtney b vance is good he's good uh i don't my problems of this movie are don't don't rest with the cast at all well not all of the cast there's uh there's a couple of small supporting performances that are kind of annoying in this movie so you mentioned to me off mic that uh this was more of a drama and not enough of of comedy in there to for you to call it a dramedy Mm -hmm. uh tell me tell me elaborate a little bit on that and tell me and our audience why you arrived at that conclusion the the entire thing is about kind of like uh a lot of serious material um the choice between you know abandoning your family's hair you know just uh, generations of of things in your family the mamudu at character is without comedy at all he is very serious in this film so is courtney b vance so there's only a couple characters who they try to offer comic relief with and it fails miserably so there's not enough of that anyway like i said um to even get this get your mind thinking that this is a comedy in any way. Um, but when the movie does try to have comedy, whew, it swings and misses pretty bad, pretty badly. Um, there's a couple of characters when the, when, uh, Elijah who Mamoudou at plays goes to Paris and he's trying to get his master sommelier, you know, title. There's some characters there at the school who are just, it's just, it's just not well written. Um, unfortunately, um, so yeah, it's, 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 it, it's a straight drama, I would say. So where, where are you landing on this then? I guess, what, what, what are you going to give it? 
it kind of flounders around, you know, it, it wants to be a lot of different things and it wants to explore. There's so many things, like I said, that it sets up and it does it pretty well. And you're invested, semi invested in the characters throughout the entire thing. But then it quite literally just ends in a way that, you know, I think you were mentioning with your movie, it just kind of, dis- it just ends and there's no real payoff there's no real i mean just everything just kind of stalls and then they just all right we're done here and it just leaves you feeling a little like empty at the end of this so i i didn't dislike this movie but i also did not can't say i liked it so i'm at a two and a half on it two and a half i see all right those were our two new films for the week. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, Andy and I are going to rank the six best home invasion films of all time. So stick around and we'll be back in 60 seconds. Jenny Lee, Montreal was never the same once you were gone. Jenny Lee, you should know the city fell into a sort of boring ruin mm-hmm. and so we leave Montreal and so the wild mother we once knew Jenny Lee I know my behavior was probably partly why you turned into a blade of grass and a blade of steel I was a city wrecker then We're back, ready for round two. Welcome back to the show. With everyone still stuck inside their houses, we thought we'd take advantage of that fact and bring you a pick six that's sure to be extra thrilling. We are ranking the six best home invasion films of all time. So let's dig in, starting with you, Andy. What do you have at number six? Uh, Number six for me is a first-time watch this week um i honestly had not heard of it until i was looking up home invasion movies to try to see if there were some other ones that i might need to see because i had seen most of these movies that i have on my list already um but this one is a french film from 2006 called them um i don't know if you've heard of this before now I have. Okay. It is it is what The Strangers is based on. I see. Well, when watching it now, it makes sense. Um, what I will say I think it does better than The Strangers is have a little bit even like more restraint. I know that Strangers doesn't really go off the rails as far as like getting crazy with violence or anything, but um, this movie really is a kind of don't really show... You know, just a lot of a lot of um, off camera, off uh, off vision scares in this film. It's pretty it's pretty terrifying, even in the sound engineering of it. Um, It's quite simply just about 
uh, one 24-hour period where some, as IMDb has it, hooded assailants terrorize a neighborhood, and um, you don't really see these people until much later on in the movie. Um, You just see the couple in the movie kind of going through the anxiety of that home invasion. And um, I think for the most part, this movie achieves its level of making you a little squirmish um, and not ever at ease while watching it. It's very short. It's 77 minutes, um, which works to the movie's advantage. And um, it's a very dark in as far as just visually it's dark um and uh when it finally gets to the its final few minutes where you figure out exactly who's doing what um it's a little unsettling i'd say um i was a little i didn't love this movie by any means but i liked it enough to add it here yeah, I, I almost got around to seeing this one, but there, there was a lot of first time watches that I had to do and, and, and several rewatches as well. So I just didn't get to this one, even though it's pretty readily available. Yeah, I watched this um, on Prime, I believe. Prime, yeah. Yeah. Whenever you're in the mood for something like this again down the road, check it out. Uh, well, my number uh, six is the uh, is the Strangers. So it, it, okay. it kind of it kind of works, um, kind of works to our advantage here. Um, I hadn't seen this uh, probably in almost I don't know ten years probably. Um, You've always liked this more than I. Have. Yeah, and I and I realized uh, upon a rewatch, I like it a little less than I did before, but I still like it. And uh, one of the reasons that I still like it is, is a reason that you just mentioned, which, um, you know, is the restraint that it shows. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's helped out a lot by the, the moments of silence and quiet that really cause you to focus, uh, uh, on what's going on around them. And then also, um, the way it plays with space as well inside the frame, you'll see, you'll see faces come through and, and, You'll see, you know, the figures um, who were obscured, and now you they they kind of reveal themselves to you, the viewer, but not to um, not to our protagonists. Um, I, the problems that I have with the film are are purely superficial. Um, uh, it's mostly Scott Speedman. That was my biggest problem, and even Glenn Howerton later on from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia who shows up as Scott Spieben's buddy. Yeah. See, I, I don't even, I, I watched this again this week, but I don't, I don't, I've never seen any of that show, so I didn't really notice him. Yeah. Um, I, I actually like Liv Tyler in so this, I. but I, I kind of like Liv Tyler. So I was predisposed. The killers I, I found really creepy and, um, I really appreciated for the most part, the way it was shot. Uh, I'm not wild about it, but I still think it's really solid and it's, and it is effectively scary. It can be for me at times. Um, when I rewatched it this week, I watched it knowing now for the first time that it is a debut movie. So for a debut film, film, I think that, uh, this director handles it fairly well. Uh, what's number five on your list? Number five for me is, uh, a movie I had seen years ago. 
Um, and I rewatched just to see if it kind of held up at all for me. And it does. Uh, there's something very appealing about seeing Audrey Hepburn go a little different here. Uh, and that is the film Wait Until Dark from 1967. Uh, this is the film in which Audrey Hepburn plays a woman who has recently become blind and faces the kind of like horrible scenario of not only having your home invaded by many different people, but you're also blind. And uh <laughs> That, that in itself is a good setup for a nice, like, thriller. Um, in the late 60s, it was very kind of, I'm sure it was uh, really kind of jarring to audiences at the time. Um, and this is this features an impossibly young-looking Alan Arkin as the main kind of uh, antagonist. He's almost unrecognizable. He looks incredibly young in this movie, but he's also really creepy in this movie. Um, but Audrey Hepburn is the real reason this thing works. Well, she was nominated for an Oscar for this, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and deservedly so. I mean, I don't know what the other you know, nominees look like, but this is like something that she... Kind of, this was like a departure for her at the time. Yeah, uh, I... I remember I saw this once at our friend Josh Short's house because he's really into Turner Classic Movies and stuff like that. And it happened to be on Turner Classic Movies one day when I was at his house. And I remember being like, oh, wow, this Audrey Hepburn's playing a blind woman, you know, like um, I was pretty fascinated by it. But I've never gone back and rewatched it since. It's good. It's good enough to make this list. Um, I think it gets extra points for being kind of daring enough at this time, you know, too, uh, there was not a lot, uh, that in the late sixties that was really pushing these kind of buttons, you know, and, uh, overall I think it works. It has a really good villain. Um, there's multiple villains, but Arkin being the main villain, I think when they, when they have their ultimate kind of meetup showdown at the end, her and, and Arkin, I think it really works. Uh, my number five is a pretty fun one. Um, and I think you're going to be semi delighted by this. Number five for me is John Hughes's home alone. All right. Nice. Um, I know I like home alone a little more than you do. We'll see. I don't Um, know about that, but, uh, uh, I thought that this th- this list needed a little bit of levity brought to it, and who better than Macaulay Culkin and Joe Pesci? It's true. Um, uh, I still think that this is a great Christmas film. I still think that this is a great uh, child performance, and I think that it's a it is a lot of fun. Sure, it's pretty slapsticky, and it really relies, especially in the back half, on a lot of the f- physical humor. Yes, it does. But um, but I kind of dig a lot of the physical humor and the hijinks and the and the booby traps and um and the fact that it has a really sweet message even if it wasn't around christmas um i still find this film to be very very charming um and and a lot of fun and i think it has a great score and soundtrack as well so much Um, fun yeah there is no way i could make a home invasion list and leave home alone off of it um it's probably the most fun home invasion film uh, that we're going to have on either list. I love it. I mean, we need something at least semi upbeat to talk about on this episode. So I'm glad you added this to your list. Yeah. 
so the, just a real quick hit on Home Alone, and we'll go right to number four. What's okay. number four in your number list? Number four for me is Jordan Peele's Us. Um, okay. I, that is that that is a great choice. I really couldn't leave it off this list. Um, I still think it's Jordan Peele's best film. Um, I know that's not really a popular opinion, but um, I think he got better as a director. And as far as uh, establishing an overall mood, I think the cinematography in Us is a step up from Get Out. And I think that um, I think the cast is universally even better in Get Out, um, even though I know that Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford and Lakeith Stanfield are great in Get Out. But and of course, Daniel Kluwa. But um, I think overall, I enjoy the th- the ambition of us a lot i think not all of it works but he's shooting so high and it's uh it's really kind of fun to watch and uh it's entirely creepy and lapita nyong'o is phenomenal in it um and if there ever was a home invasion movie the modern home invasion movie this is fits that to a t it sure does. It sure does. Um, and, and I agree with you. I th- I like it better than um, than Get Out as well. I think. Oh, really? I thought you liked it, Get I Out. I think. More. No, no, no. I think Us is the. It's close, but I think it is the better of his two films. So okay. What's number four for you? Uh, number four on my list was a first time watch, and it is. It was a brutal one. Uh, I if I was told that. If you're going to watch any film for this list, this is the film to watch. And that is 2008's French film, Martyrs. Oh, I thought you'd already seen this before. No, I have never seen Martyrs before. I've definitely Um, seen it. And it's it's brutal. It's it's clearly controversial. It's uh, associated with um, really like... Uh, kicking off the French extremity movement, the new new French extreme extreme movement, you know, um, and and for good reason. It is extreme. Um, so for for those in our audience who don't know anything about Martyrs, um, they they did a remake in like 2017, didn't they? And I heard it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I that's all I heard. I didn't really read into it any more than that. So I can't believe that this this um, premiered at Cannes, by the way, in, in 2008. It's wild. Um, so it it, uh, it it's it follows a little girl who was um basically imprisoned captive in like a warehouse and chained to a chair with a hole in it so that she could urinate and defecate in it and that was it and she's deprived of sunlight and she's tortured and she finally escapes and we meet her as an adult um and she's going back to try and find the people who did this to her and brutally murder them with the help of a friend that she met when she was finally rescued and put in like a girl's home. And this friend was the only person that she really connected with. And this friend is kind of helping her, but also trying to only help her a little bit and also just take care of her. And she was abused as a child as well. Um, and so she murders some people that may or may not have been the, the perpetrators or, or somewhat responsible for this crime against her. Um, and she's also, um, hallucinating and having visions of, of a scary naked woman who's attacking her constantly. And that's about all, everything that I'll say about it, because I don't want to spoil what the rest of the film has in store for, for listeners who are brave enough (laughs) 
to watch this film. Um, it is it is extremely brutal. It is, yeah. That's one of the reasons I did not have it anywhere near my list. I just think there there's there's some horror movies that don't know where to draw a line or like at least balance out some things. And I think that this is one of those for me, this is why I don't like it that much is that it becomes more about the brutality than this story and anything else for me. Yeah. And, and as it goes on, it gets, it feels like it is more and more just about the brutality and you don't see any sense in it. There is craziness that unfolds. And so like, you know, uh, two thirds of the way through, I was like, I don't understand. Like it's well made and everything, but I just don't understand. Like, what's the point? But then the final third of the film, there is some payoff, um, that I started to, it started to unravel a little more and I started to, to realize what the, what the bigger point was. And by the end, I was pretty blown away by the ending. Um, I guess it's just if you can get there. Yeah, that it ended up working for me. Um, uh, I don't love this film. I don't know how one could love the film. Um, but the the payoff was worth it for me in the end. But um, boy, did, it, it could have been a huge miss. Um, I was ready to not have it on the list at all. That's how good the payoff finally was. And, I, and I'm kind of rewarding, especially higher up that I get through this list, I re- start rewarding films more for having more of a point and a message um, and, and, and a little more of something to say. You get extra points for that because it can't all just be break into the house and murder stabs. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why I had I put Martyrs ahead of Home Alone, even though I didn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right. We're going bronze now, right? That's where we're at. What do you have? Well, talk about getting extra points for being unique and totally different in the home invasion genre. Number three for me is Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Um, I just think that I couldn't make this list without it. And you could argue, is it really a home invasion movie? And I think it is. I think it is. It is. I just, I just never thought about that. It, well, I mean, there's always some of these movies. Each one of us, you know, have some that slip through the cracks. But uh, this movie is uh, kind of overly ambitious. But it's like becomes, it becomes one of its nice attributes as you as it goes along and as it gets to its fucking crazy last 25 ish minutes or so um there is something taking over this house and um <laughs> this movie is insane i know why it's so divisive i get it if someone told me they hated this movie i'd be like yeah i totally understand why you you would hate it it is almost a love it or hate it kind of movie it's not one of those movies where you can be like yeah it's okay i don't think anyone's ever just said Mother was okay. No, you either no, hate I, it or you love it, I think. It was like the the most divisive film two or three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, this would have made my list if I had thought about it, because I, I actually uh, appreciate Mother quite a bit. I, I think it's a really solid film. Yeah, I think you and I are on the same page with this movie. Um, and then there's just the four great performances in it. Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem are both fantastic, but Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer are also so creepy and so perfectly cast in this movie. They're both aging to a level to where they even look extra kind of eerie, you know? And Yeah, um, absolutely. And it just works. Um, and then, you know, I just think... Yeah, it's a little batshit. It's a little off its hinges and off the rails, but 
overall, I think it it works. Yeah, me too. Um, number three on my list is Jordan Peele's Us. Okay. Um, and, and so I, I don't really have a whole lot extra to say that you haven't already said about it. Uh, I, like you, uh, also think that it is, it's a little bit better than Get Out. And I think um, how thrilled I was to see the film, the marketing was amazing. Yes, it was. As thrilled as I, as thrilled as I was to see the film, um, it was so good that it, it instantly made me excited to see whatever he does next. And I, I'm feeling like his, his next... Um, his next film might even top this one, possibly. Let's but, hope uh, so. But the performances, not just from the absolutely pitch perfect Lupita Nyong'o, mm-hmm. the supporting performances from Winston Duke, um, the the two children, and then also Elizabeth Moss and, and Tim Heidecker. Uh, man, he 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 wrung every last bit of everything he could out of out of his cast in this thing, and it is just whoo boy, it is really 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 creepy. Stylistically, it looks great too. It really does this is a very good film yeah yeah and that score just helps ratchet up the tension it's a great score yeah i agree um yeah uh, couldn't make this list in in the year 2020 without jordan i figured i figured it'd be on your list yeah and it could have gone even higher honestly well um number two for me is uh i think i like home alone more than you um it's home alone um it's awesome uh how do you make a home invasion movie without home alone really um you'd be crazy not to this is i would say well it's a john hughes script but it's a chris columbus uh film uh but really when it comes down to it, it yes it's stupid it's ridiculous it's but it's slapsticky and it, you, you're not supposed to take the violence seriously so when these guys are getting bludgeoned with things that should kill them they're simply just coming back for more and it it makes it funny every time you watch it and it is not just a christmas movie but yes it is a home invasion movie (laughs) yeah and macaulay culkin is an american treasure so i mean there's no really any reason to go on anymore about home alone so what's number two for you so number two for me um this one's going to be interesting because it definitely is a film I like a lot more than you do. And that's Michael Haneke's Funny Games. And 2007, I believe. Is this the one you chose? I'm talking about the 1997. <clears throat> oh, okay. The but, original. But really, we can talk about them together because they're essentially the exact same film. They are the exact same film. Um, but uh, it. I've seen the the American remake um, much more recently than the original, so I went back last night and watched the original. Um, and they really are just, I mean, exactly the same film. Yes, they are. I watched both of them this week. Oh, you did. I, I, I'm so curious to see, and maybe we'll have to have a bigger conversation off mic about... Um, about both of them in comparison to one another. But, but, um, the 1997 version is the one I'm going to be working from. Uh, man, uh, I love Haneke. And one of the things that he, that he does that impresses me so much with this film is the choice not to show the vast majority of the violence and disturbing imagery. He doesn't show, um, the, he doesn't show the, the, Hmm. I don't, how do I say this without giving anything away? He doesn't show the one 
for sure specific murder in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't show you that when that is going on. One of the other characters is in the kitchen making a sandwich. Um, there's a scene in which the, the mother is forced to strip, um, and they put a bag over the kid's head so the kid doesn't see it. But we, the audience doesn't, don't see it either. We, Haneke chooses to show us the, the child with the bag over his head during that and not show us any nudity. Um, we don't really see hardly any violence in the film, honestly. It's, it's more what's, what's inferred instead of what he chooses to show us. And for a, for a filmmaker who deals with very disturbing material much of the time, um, he oftentimes chooses exactly that, to not show us the violence. And when he does, when he does choose to show us violence in his films, typically it's very quick. Um, it's quick and unexpected, and then goes right back to being quiet. He's a very quiet and contemplative filmmaker, and um, this is probably his most famous film. Uh, I know, uh, you know, he's had others that have won Academy Awards, like Amour, but uh, this is what he is most known for. And um, I, I just, I find it so smart and so well acted and so well scripted, and the tension is just at, I mean, it is, it just, oh boy, this thing is filled to the very brim with, with anxiety and tension because of the performances and because of the writing. And again, um, you know, I hate some of the tropes that he uses in this. I hate them in other films. The breaking of the fourth wall, the uh, stopping and then rewinding the film and playing it over again, a whole chunk of of the plot. You know, these are things that I despise in other films, but he uses them in a really, really interesting way that, that I, that I really uh, appreciate. Um, and then, you know, the, just further, further on down the rabbit hole, the, the commentary that he, that he chooses to, to show with this film on the audience's role in, in, um, how we, how we, um, how we view violence, how we, uh, how we are part of, of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for of, of, not the distribution of it, but, 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 uh, bringing it into our lives, into our homes, into our television, how, how we digest it and, and how we, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a fascinating, fascinating film. Um, and the, the lead guy, the, the, the guy who plays the Michael Pitt performance in this Arno Frisch, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I found him menacing and mesmerizing, man. Um, I really, really like this film a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I just, yeah, I'm not on the same page with you um, as you with this. and never have been, and I tried again, and I can't do it. Um, it's just, you know, when you said you don't like a lot of those tropes in other films and you like the way he uses them, I don't like the way he uses them either in this. And I typically love Haneke, you know, as well. But there's something about what he does in this particular movie, movies, these movies that... um I can't get on board with for whatever reason. I, uh, I don't, I don't even really think the performances outside of the mother in this movie are that good. I just don't, I'm not on board with the performances either. Um, she's fantastic though. She's very good in it. Yes. Yes. Um, 
And there are things that I do enjoy, but then in the last 15 to 20 minutes or so, it just loses me. Like every time I see both of these movies, I just am taken out of it entirely. I just think the way he's, I don't know, he, it, it, it's a very dick swinging movie. It's a very look what I can do better than everyone else. And I just don't buy it. It's uh, I, I'm just not into where he goes with the conceit of this, these movies here. Um, but that's okay. Um, I still think he's a great filmmaker. Would you say this is your least favorite Haneke film? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that I've disliked other than funny games. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I definitely, as much as I like this film, he's one of my absolute favorite modern, uh, foreign filmmakers. So this wouldn't even be in my, I wouldn't, if I was making a top six Haneke, this might be number six or five. You know what I mean? Like I, I like a lot of other Haneke way more than this. Yeah. And we still need to see some others like Benny's video. We need to throw back that sometime. I know. I'm excited to see Benny's video because Arno Frisch plays Benny in Benny's video. I see. So I'm looking forward okay. to that. Um, but here we are. We're at number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you don't have Martyrs at number one like a lot of people do. I don't. And I also don't have Panic Room uh, at number one for me. Um, but I do have one movie that I, I, just like Funny Games, this is the reverse. I love this movie way more than you do. And you know what? It could be boiled down. This movie could be accused of being a straight up person invades homes and stabs and kills people. But it was so influential and I, I think it's iconic and I think it's for what, for the way it was made and, and, and the circumstances it was made in. I think John Carpenter's Halloween is number one for me. Um, you know, I know it's a horror movie. I know it's a slasher movie, but it's also a home invasion movie because that's what Michael Myers does. And there's little to be said anymore. We've talked about this movie on this podcast before we damn near dedicated a whole segment to it on the Halloween episode with Brandon. So, and everyone knows what it is. Number one for me is John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, I never even thought about this as a, as a home invasion film, just because I was like, uh, you know, I, I guess in my mind, it's just a slasher film. And I never, I never thought that it might count. It's got to count for me because that's just what he does. That's just, yeah. you know, no, you're absolutely uh, right. You're absolutely right. And it's, it, it's also just, you know, I, I get why you're not into it that much, but um, I think that it's one of the five most influential films in the horror genre. So, um, and for good reason, I think. Um, so uh, what are you, what are you giving gold? What, I, what I'm giving gold to is, is possibly something that you f- may have forgotten about as well. Um, and it is another one that I like uh, a fair amount more than you. Um, and it is another film that we've talked about a lot recently on this show. And that is our most recent Best Picture winner, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I knew this was going to be somewhere on your list, but I didn't know it was going to be this high. Well, I'm, you know, um, I'm stacking it up against some other films and I'm like, well, it is better than this. Yeah, I mean, I put it higher on my list than Us. It's better than Us, you know? And then I, I kept going down the list, and I was like, it was between this and Funny Games, and I was like, as great as Funny Games is, visually, it's not, you know, amazing or anything. Like, Haneke doesn't shoot the shit out of Funny Games. Parasite is 
really impressive looking on a visual standpoint. And, and, and then when you couple that with everything that it has to say, and like I said, I'm giving extra points to, to, uh, to, to that. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put anything ahead of it. So naturally had to give this number one in the genre. Um, it is, it is a very different home invasion style film where, you know, for the most part, nobody's going in and just stabbing people. You know what I mean? Um, this is yeah. this is a different kind of invasion, but it most certainly still is a an, a home invasion. An entire family of people invade these people's homes. Yes, this absolutely embodies this genre. Um, and I just again, the performances are fantastic. the The, the thing looks tremendous, um, and uh, and my God, he won! He won! He won. He won. <laughs> he freaking won. <laughs> he did. He absolutely did, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, it is. It still to this day kind of surprises me that uh, that uh, a month or so ago, this won Best Picture. And um, Yeah, it's, it's going to take a while to let that really sink in. Yeah. Hey, man, uh, I know you don't love this movie as much as I do, but at least 1917 didn't win. I mean, I like this movie a lot, actually. I just don't love it yeah and you know you mentioned panic room that was my number seven i'm surprised it wasn't on your list that was my no. number seven i just I, I i wasn't quite ready to you know what you know what did it for me as much what? as i th- jared leto's cornrows as much as i don't like scott speedman in the strangers he's better <laughs> in it than jared leto is in panic room so i mean jared leto's bad enough but putting cornrows on him and oh, that's just doubling down on awfulness oh boy man I, yeah. I couldn't i couldn't do it um uh you know and i watched some other first timers i watched the purge um not nearly as bad as i thought it would be but it is a fucking mess well you know i mean when you've got ethan hawk that helps yeah he he is he's the best part of the film i'll, I'll give you that uh, and it spawned a ton of sequels. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be watching any of the sequels. But no, no. Just like I'm not going to watch The Strangers Pray at Night. I've seen it. I like it more than The Strangers. Really? Okay. Well, <laughs> I do. Maybe I'll have to um, watch it after all. No, you won't. Um, the, <laughs> the Purge, I think the one that's called The First Purge actually has Marissa Tomei in it for some reason. Okay. Well, I'm not sure why she would want to do that, but I'll never watch it. Well, let's not judge sure. her, I guess. I'm not judging her. All but right. I'm never going to watch it. Well, I think it's time for us to get uh, to get to our throwback challenge film, um, and this one was a pretty pretty special one, a pretty interesting one. <laughs> oh um, boy! It's been it's been quite a bit since uh, the last time I saw 2008's Dear Zachary, um, uh, written, produced, edited, and directed by Kurt Kinoon. Um I know I'm butchering his last name, but. Um, uh, this 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 film has a bit of a of a cult following um because it's it's rather legendary and uh, it's one of it's it's an excellent case of um the less you know going into it the better oof um now uh i because it's so gut-wrenching i can only watch it maybe once every few years um, and the only reason I don't think I can watch it again after this. Yeah, the only I reason can't. to ever rewatch it is to show it to someone else, really. Yeah. And so yeah. we decided we were going to do that this week. Yeah, we did, didn't we? And 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 we did it. 
Um, how did that go on your end? You know, I, I, I said, you know, okay, get ready. You know, I'm going to go get the tissues out of the bedroom. We're going to bring them in here and, and you get ready. Cause this is, this is a tearjerker. Um, and, um, me, the guy who's seen it now three times cried and cried and cried like multiple times throughout the movie. And she didn't bat an eye. I don't know. Well, does, what does that mean overall for her experience with the movie? Um, I think I think she's soulless, and I'll have to reevaluate our relationship. No, no. So uh, it's zero she's, bags. She's yeah. She's just not much of a crier, you know. And and me, I'm uh, I'm a big baby. So. I mean, I'm not asking if she cried. I'm just asking, did she like it? Did she think it was a good documentary yes did she- yeah I, I think she definitely um agreed that it is a very very powerful piece of film um and it's the type of film that you once you've seen it you can't ever forget about it it's it's not Ooh, that's for sure it's it's not like you know uh, um baby's day out where you know you you only think about it in passing and, and as, no, a, as a it joke. is a lot like baby's day out in I, fact i would say that this movie drew from Baby's Day Out, and it was inspired by Baby's Day Out. I guess somewhat. I literally could have picked any other movie, like Dunstan Checks In. I could have picked any other movie, and yet I had to pick Baby's Day Out. I don't know why I did that. That's What's funny is that Baby's Day Out and Dunstan Checks In are kind of like the same movie, just one with a monkey. Yeah, the exactly. Baby. exactly. Anyway, back to Dear Zachary. Back to, I don't know how we did this. Um, yeah. yeah, it's fun. Um, we need something to lighten the mood, because this movie is something else yeah it really is and for listeners who don't know about the film you know it's a it's a documentary about um a documentary filmmaker's very close friend was murdered um by a woman who uh who later um announced that she was pregnant with his baby and so this documentary filmmaker set out on a big road trip to um film and interview everyone that he could about the life of his friend who was murdered um so that he could give this film to the son this baby um so that he would know who his father truly was um and that is is all i want to say about the film because like i said the less you know the better um boy man this film packs such an emotional wallop it is what it lacks on a visual like style standpoint and it is rather low budget but um uh, and considering the 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 budget it's actually really well made and constructed and edited but what it lacks in style it makes up for immensely just in story and just the the emotional gut punch it gives you I agree. Um, and I don't dock anything from this movie just based on the fact that it's low budget because this is the work of one person alone. It really, truly is. And you don't see this kind of thing much anymore. This movie was definitely of its time. 2008 was when this was released. And everything just so happened to come together for Kurt Kuhn because he already had a wealth of footage of his friend, you know, based on a lifetime, a childhood of making movies together. And he had all this footage of this guy, Andrew, from their childhood and their teen years, you know, and even a little after that. Uh, And so he was already had this 
kind of treasure trove of footage to work from to put together a film for this guy's son. Yeah, only only a filmmaker could have made this film because I mean it is insane how much footage he has of, of really this guy is. growing up and and even in, into his adult life. It's it's mind blowing how much footage he very rarely ever shows you the same footage twice unless it's a couple of very special and specific things other than that it's it's incredible it, it makes me think of like you know the the films that you grew up shooting that i've seen you know it's like if a friend of ours like tony marshall was murdered or something like you'd be the only person that could make the documentary about her life because because you yeah. have just shitloads of footage of making movies together and you know what i mean like um it's only this guy could have made this film and that's why I have a deeper, I, I do honestly have a deeper connection to this movie as far as my appreciation for this movie. I think that the way the, like, if this movie was grabbed onto in today's day and age, you know, and was made by some professional filmmaker and, and made as like a six part series on Netflix or something. Yeah. Yeah. It would not nearly be as powerful as just this guy having, making this movie himself and going through this Kurt Coon guy goes through a lot of stress and emotion himself in making this movie. Absolutely. And there's times when he's narrating certain things of the film and he starts to break. His voice starts to break and he starts to cry while he's narrating. And I mean, those are some of the most powerful moments in the film. Like you were saying, Errol Morris or Alex Gibney couldn't have made this film and, and have it be this good. If they had made and this film, they this, didn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You could have had a seasoned pro behind, behind this whole thing, production and, and and all of it and it wouldn't be a, a tenth of as good as what what this turned out to be i like i said i feel like if this person was trying to make this movie now in 2020 there would be too much temptation to sell it off and to have a professional crew put together you know a, you know cut this guy a check you know take the rights from him and make something you know, slick and great looking and, you know, like people would love it still because the story itself is terrifying, disturbing. It just gut wrenching and everything, but it wouldn't have this connection the entire time. There's a thread to the filmmaker, a straight thread from the filmmaker to the person he's telling the story about. There's already a, a established relationship that goes back years and decades even. And that is felt throughout every frame of this perfect film. Yeah, if I, if I were making a um, a list of the ten greatest documentaries of the century so far, this is on that list. Absolutely. I mean, it's you probably pretty high on the list too. You you can say what you will about the way he quick cuts his movie together, but he's trying to put together a movie with so much information and so many twists and turns, and he's trying to do it in ninety five minutes or less. And this is the only way he could have done it. Otherwise, it would felt too sprawling and too much to handle. And yes, there are times in this movie where shots don't even last one second. Yeah. There's so much quick cut editing. But it all, I think, really culminates in one big piece that really, I just can't, as much as I love this movie, I can't sit through this movie again. I just can't do it. I, I won't be able to for at least another five years. That's for sure. Um, and, and I do want to mention that, you know, uh, as, as it, it is, it is a real emotional roller coaster right up to the end where, you know, I, you're, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm crying tears of joy 
at, at the end of this film. You know, it's it, it gets you from all of the angles. It has a really poignant and beautiful ending as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he struggles with, like, he even admits that he struggles with how to end this thing, or should he even continue on with this thing? And then he finds it. He finds a way to do it. And he closes it out as best as he can in the right way. Yeah, and it's so wonderful. We're also very lucky that he found his ending to this film because it would be, this film would be one thing without it. And it still would be a very good and moving film. But it, I don't think he would have released it that way. I think it just wouldn't exist. I don't think so if either. If he had, hadn't have found that. I'm ending. with you. I don't think so either. And, and I think uh, we're all the better because he found his ending and gave us this story that is just remarkable, really remarkable. It, it makes me want to really look into his kind of career since and even before and like look into Kurt Kuhn, you know, just as a, as a filmmaker, see yeah. what he's been up to, me see too. what he's doing. Me too. Um, yeah, it, it is on prime right now. People, if you, if you've, if you've never heard of this, don't go research it. Just go get on prime and watch it. It's called dear Zachary, a letter to a son about his father. It is well worth it, but be, be prepared. It is it is a tough tough watch. I think it is a. It, I'm giving it as all as I did before as I saw it 11 or so years ago at five stars. Yeah, uh, me too. I I can't fault this film for anything. Um, if if you try, you'd be nitpicking big time. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's our show for today. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Send us your suggestions for the Throwback Challenge to thefilmharmonic at gmail.com. We will be back next week with another new Netflix original. Uh, our, our quarantine special this week will be Coffee and Kareem, starring Taraji P. Henson and Ed Helms. That's a that is a very interesting pairing. Yeah, um, cannot wait to see how that one unfolds. Yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a pretty good fan of Taraji P Henson. I've never seen that show she's on, but uh, but I, I like her work a lot. Ed Helms, not so much. Nah, but I guess we'll find out. And in our pick six segment, we are ranking the six best Coen Brothers films. So that is going to be a very big one to unpack. Picking the six best films of one of modern cinema's greatest filmmaking teams. Yeah, I, I um, it's a great excuse for me to catch up and watch some of uh, the Coen Brothers stuff that I've just never gotten around to. This this will allow me to finally complete the uh, the catalog. Yeah, so how many do you think you haven't seen of their of their stuff? You know, Miller's Crossing you mentioned. Yeah, I know I've not seen Miller's Crossing, and I think that's that's that might be the only of their like major works. I still need to to dig and and get under uh, some of the smaller stuff. And it's been what about a, Barton Fink. It's been a, I've seen Barton Fink Fink, and I love it. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen Raising Arizona, so. Mm, me too. I'll probably rewatch that, and um, then I'll just watch the Lady Killers like ten times. <laughs> I think. Well, and and then in our throwback film for the for this week, we are once again going to be utilizing the Criterion Channel for a film that neither of us has seen. This time, it is Susan Seidelman's Desperately Seeking Susan from 1985. Um, Rosanna Arquette and Madonna star in this one. Um, it's a it's a bit of a comedy. Uh, uh, it's it's a bit of a mob film. It's um, I've never ever seen it, and I'm pretty excited. So, 
Yeah, we need something to lift some spirits for the next episode, so this might help. Yeah, we, we were we were definitely thinking about you know we we did home invasion films and Dear Zachary and and, and I watched a dystopian uh, a fucked up Spanish movie and I was just like I can't do this to myself or my significant other one more week. We need to bring a little levity to the show if if we possibly can. So we have a a strange buddy cop film from Netflix starring Taraji P Henson and Ed Helms. We're doing some Coen Brothers, which for the most part um isn't that dark and then desperately seeking susan so we've uh, we're doing a 180 th- on this week's show as we did with this past week i mean we have to because we can't even get fresh air so we might as well do it this way no no i'm sure you have your uh, you're, you're sleeping with a cpap right i am <laughs> good <laughs> you called that good all right well on that note we will see you next time on the film harmonic Substitute.